Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to the Raw Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dudley Boys of What Culture, Michael Hampler and Michael Sidgwick, here to review everything that happened on last night's episode of Monday Now Raw. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure to subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from. For daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review Raw, but also SmackDown, NXT 2, but oh, AW Dynamite, AW Rampage, pay-per-views, premium live events. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week complete with a bloody quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. As I said, though, joined by Hamlet and Sidgwick to review Monday Night Raw from Canada. And- <laughs> <laughs> yep. And I've got to say, this is one of my favorite Raws of the year. I mean, obviously, they went big, Trish... Edge, obviously the major return of Johnny Gargano, but this this show flew by for me. Yeah, I think it's been two years, and finally I've landed upon my retribution name, which is Lobar, because I am thoroughly enjoying the Triple H era. Um, uh, to paraphrase, as I put it to Cedric and Murray across the desk this morning, uh, often with Triple H, it's going to be boring as... But, you know, it's going to at least make sense for me to be. So if you can put up with that, and I've got an incredible tolerance for boring WWE, I think you're going to have a pretty good time. I agree with you completely. Uh, I thought the show raced by. I was pleased with the majority of the developments. Um, There was no actively terrible stuff. That's that's Triple H's booking CV all over, isn't it? Only when things went absolutely tits up in the latter days of NXT, when he was under the gun competitively or in the pandemic, like, that NXT, I think you can say, was very, very bad at points. But up to that point, it was never bad, just boring. And I, I'm just, I'm enjoying Triple H's boring WWE. Bless him, hair ruffle. Like, it's 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 an all right time. This was a really, really, really strong episode of a television show that I have inherent problems with the presentation and internal logic. Like the camera cut's still drive me insane. Uh, the fact that they are doing DQs and no mention of, oh, he's fucked up his pay window, or that's someone's screwed. Like, there's no repercussions for DQs. Like, if you're going to do DQs, at least make it seem like they are a bad thing. Um, the total dickhead desperation move, and it's going to cost you in the end. 
with some kind of punishment. Otherwise, you then ask the question to yourself, if you're a pedantic arsehole like me, like, like <laughs> me, why doesn't everyone do it? There are there should be rules in place, all that kind of thing. I have issues with um, matches magically happening, all that stuff. As far as a WWE show goes, particularly a three-hour-long one, you will struggle to find a better one than this. I still, like, have really burning resentment of <laughs> everyone's good time. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't want to be that person. Like, someone tweeted, it was a really good tweet, and I was like, God damn it, that's me. Described. I can't remember the tweet, but it was something like um, being physically ill when WWE does something good. I was like, ah, oh, that, <laughs> that's me. You know that guy with the meme who's got the vein, the little high school kid? Yes. And it's like me. It's like he's holding his breath or something. Like me, that's me trying to tell people that's still not great. <laughs> because you go on the online sphere, and yes, you get your tribals and all the rest of it, but like everyone is saying it, how great it is. Everyone's coming around. Well, I'm not, Doug. <laughs> there are still core problems with this TV show, and it's still not this incredibly awesome thing that I can get viscerally hyped about and, like, fired up about. It's good. It's really, really good at its best. But, my God, this bar is low, as Hamphill points out. It really is low. All Tony Khan needs to do, because there's never been a goddamn wrestling promotion as scrutinized and poured over and hyper-overanalyzed as AEW. We right? didn't have the mediums for it Ever. when old ones launched. Yeah. Even in TNA, there was no social media with which to just pick at every single yeah. detail. There was always message boards and yeah. stuff, as me and Hamlet yeah. are very acutely aware, having been on them. <laughs> <laughs> but my God, at this rate, the best thing Tony Khan can do for the perception of his company, right, the very best thing he can do, and I'm not even being facetious here, the very best thing he can do is tank his product for 20 one long, <laughs> tedious, exhausting years. For 21 years, just make it rubbish. Tell the fans to go f*** themselves. <laughs> push who you want to push and don't care about anyone else. Don't care about wider trends. Watch as your company just hemorrhages viewers, right? Get to a point of no return where it's so bad that's not even worth talking about, right? Mm -hmm. And then make it solid. <laughs> Try. 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 Make it solid and every, everyone will go, oh, he's a genius, he's a saviour. That's all he has to do. Mm. I think he should do it. <laughs> to Sidgwick's point, right, and I I said this pretty much from the first Triple H, not the Madison Square Garden one, I think the post SummerSlam one, yeah. it hit me immediately that all of Sidgwick's criticisms are, of course, fair and true and just, and already I think we're in a point where we can start talking about them. Like, Triple H has made WWE a wrestling show again. So, a lot of wrestling on this wrestling. Well, show. there's never like too much probably wrestling, if anything. <laughs> in nearly all the time that we've been covering, so like 2017, we all started sitting down to do these reviews pretty much. Yeah. It was a, basically everything was still in a slow decline from the optimistic period of 2015 16 when you think, oh, maybe Triple H's NXT is going to change WWE. And then Vince got more stubborn about that. I was like, no, it's not. I'm going to make this even worse. I'm going to make the, the gap even wider. Um, so all we've seen is this constant decline into AW the wrestling show, WWE the WWE show, mm. the two different things. They're not that anymore. So you've got this honeymoon period that Triple H is in right now, but we're not that far away. Can't wait for it to end. Well, we're not that far away from the honeymoon period ending and then it being like, there are clearly distinct wrestling shows. One's on a Monday or Friday, one's on a Wednesday. Here's the differences. I'm really enjoying this vision of WWE at the yeah. moment, but I'm viscerally excited. 
for Dynamite on a Wednesday, and I'm able to distinguish the difference between the two as a viewer and as a fan of both. I don't think people are yet across the board. I think a lot of people are so happy that WWE is not a complete oh. disaster area that they're watching this and feeling... I, I believe the excitement that is emanating from these people for now. I don't think it will last, and I think it's going to be really interesting when suddenly everything that Sidgwick's just like bullet point listed there suddenly matters again. Hang on, yeah, why is that DQ just getting thrown out? Because these are both wrestling shows now. And on a Wednesday, that DQ can't get thrown out. That has to matter, or this win and loss has to matter, or things like that. Triple H maybe will be able to like clean that up as well. Maybe his longer-term plan is to clean up some of this stuff, but I don't think he will. And I think at that point, the comparisons are going to be far more interesting. There's been about five DQs on AEW television since 2019. About five, right? Two of the most notable ones were the DQ and Countout that MJF suffered, right? And they both existed to advance a grudge rivalry and remove MJF from the title picture that he's literally never stopped talking about because that is his ultimate objective. They were storyline, actual storyline purposes. And because they never happened, they felt like transgressions and huge shocks. MJF was sort of avenged for the first DQ. And then for the count out, it was, oh, God, I'm going to have to wrestle Wardlow. I've been a dickhead to him for two years, and now I'm going to have to do it. And then the first one was, well, done with CM Punk. It's nice to chat with him, but I really want title business. And CM Punk at the same time was talking about title business. And this was a dick move from a person you were happy at that point to receive as a dick in CM Punk because it informed the grudge. These, they had meaning this is meaningless. Tell me that someone's going to get into trouble one of these days. Yes, with Dexter, it's different because the idea is he's not actually signed to the company or something like that. But last week, there was DQs and nothing happened. Absolutely mm. nothing happened. There are strong internal logic gaps with this show that have yet to be addressed. But because it's a seven and a half and not a two, <laughs> it becomes a ten and it drives me up the wall. I'm guilty of this. I was so giddily excited. I was this close this morning to tweeting... Dynamite esque Monday Night Raw, and then I was like, oh, I don't want that on social well, media. I don't want. I don't want any interactions of that. And I and I know a part of me is so pedantic and has been so burned by this company that I am that dickhead who wants to spoil people's good time. But am I, or am I just an exacting critic? I think, I, like, I'm probably I'm too generous in comparison. To I don't like this version of myself. Well, but <laughs> I think it's like nothing can obviously be fixed straight away, and you can see the things that Triple H was focused on fixing straight away, and some of those, I think, have been fixed quicker than we would have predicted, to be quite honest. It looked like a bigger mess to clean up than maybe what we've seen thus far. But we talked about this on last week's review, and I think it's still, to my mind, looking at this from ASA, SummerSlam to Clash at the Castle pay-per-view cycle, this feels like a bigger picture, despite all of those very, very valid criticisms about the way this show functions fundamentally. Bigger picture, this has been a reasonable pay-per-view to pay-per-view cycle, feels like we can look towards Survivor Series as a first period of, right, how is he actually doing? Three, four months in report card type thing. And then the rumble to WrestleMania stretch. I I just have a good feeling about the bigger picture. Those issues might never be ever fixed. I was watching a 1986 episode of Superstars on the internet yesterday, <laughs> and there was a, a like there was a non-finish in one of their main matches. It just it went to a DQ and it didn't even need to. You know, it was just a match that was like, this is just how Vincent Man does this. This is how WWE yeah. works. It's going to get thrown out and, you know, the... It was like Harley Race leading a beat down on Coco Beware for a nothing match that didn't lead to anything on the house shows. But it's like, don't give him a finish anyway. That's all they know. Um, but big picture, and I think that helps a raw like this. Just being able to see where what people are doing and where they're going, of which there was tons on this episode, gives you a 
well, it gives me a better feeling for what I'm watching. I just am I'm less offended. My sensibilities are less offended by these otherwise egregious crimes that would never happen on a dynamite because I feel like I can follow where everybody's supposed to be going and what they're doing. And there's just, there was no, unless I'm forgetting one, there didn't feel like a single flagrant betrayal of a character trait on this Raw. And how long has that been since yeah. we've had one of them? Even that's something that I just imagined it would take him longer to stamp out. And already, you could sort of see where everybody was. You know, just absolute laughing stocks week after week. Every single character on the show was a joke. And almost none of them are now. And I don't know how he's managed it quite so quickly. Yeah, he's doing all right. Let's uh, do... He's a, he's a f***ing asshole. <laughs> like, he's the worst of the worst ever. Ever. But I think he's proven himself to be a competent back-to-basics pro wrestling booker. Uh, before we dive into this, I want to do a few thank yous here. Uh, at Gifted Pink, Haley from Canada, uh, who sent us the Edge video that we've used today of what happened when, when Raw went off air and sent us loads of lovely photos and videos and stuff like that. Same for Mr. Phoenix, who was also in attendance last night. Mm-hmm. And we have find- the mystery has been revealed, Michael Sidgwick. Zach Patel is the mystery Zach. We didn't know who it was. He sent us all those lovely gifts, sent the Dadleys, Galaxy, sent... Me, and let's be honest, because everyone's dived into it, the whole office chocolate bars <laughs> that we're still going through now, Zach. So, Zach Patel, at P, thank you so much. For those yeah, what a legend. Thank what you, an Zach. absolute legend. Thank you very much. Uh, should we dive into Monday Night Raw, then? Uh, because the show opened. It was quite funny. It's a like big open. You know, they're in Canada. We know it can either be Bizarro World or it can just be, as it was this night, just, just bonkers stuff. And it sort of opened, and there was like one pyro. And I was like, oh. Cutting back on that, are we? But it made sense just because they were like, stop everything. This is all kicking off backstage. Th- Sorry, just stop me there. You've made a great point right out of the gate. Can it be Bizarro World? Or was it just that like Vincent Mann hated his audience and Triple yeah. H tried to book to please Yes. Him? Like in one night, he's pretty much done away with that <laughs> ludicrous narrative that they had to fake and pretend for years. It's like, well, you alienate your audience every time you come here. They're going to hate your product because they're still trying to be discerning. They, they were just into this. And they don't go, right, this person's a heel, but they're not going to be booed here because they're from here. Yeah. Uh, just uh, situational baby face. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yes, it's Seth Rollins and Riddle. They're brawling backstage. They brawl into the arena. They brawl up into the into the crowd. Uh, Riddle tries to kill Rollins. I think at one point he's going to chuck him off a balcony. They fight back, break up the brawl. Uh, they let them fight. Chant at one point. Riddle dives off the barricade onto Rollins and a bunch of security and referees and what have you. They finally break up the brawl. Uh, a wild opening to the show. Yeah, if you're going to summon this kind of energy, I think too often in wrestling, these kind of brawls can feel a bit fake. If you're going to get this kind of energy out with a crowd that helps a brawl like this, you've got to do it at the start of the show. Yeah. This Again, like I've got to credit, I guess, like Triple H for placement here. This was kind of theoretically quite a lazy week for this story that I think otherwise has been quite well told, but it was placed at the right point of the show. I'm not such a believer in, oh my God, the show's gone off the rails. Like, it's been a long time since wrestling's been able to get away with that. But the fans bought into it and they injected this with such an energy that I think the, the brawl looked better on as a television presentation yeah. as a result. Yeah, I really like the segment where CM Punk and John Moxley just couldn't wait to get their hands on each other so they disrupted <laughs> the show. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Hasn't he already done this one? They're the Miz but and Logan, Logan Paul. Yeah, but that, oh, was, yeah, be- that yeah, was before yeah. the show, wasn't it? That was to like be like, yeah, oh, he's in baby face now, so you have to cheer him. Same difference, either before the show or three <laughs> seconds after the show begins. Negligible difference. Uh, so six, then we six get... Six weeks, he's done all his ideas. Yeah, yeah. Just he's, he's carrying cross, top dollar, <laughs> Dexter Loomis, Dexter. Uh, so we get the, the we get the proper pyro, pyro, and then we get that infamous giggle that always makes me go... Oh, my God. 
Time for Trish Strutt as she comes out. Huge baby. Uh, from the uh, hometown fans. <laughs> Welcome back, Chant. She says she's happy to be home, not just in Toronto, but in WWE. One more match. Could we get it? The chance starts. And Trish says, you know what I've been thinking? But before uh, she can get any further, they come out to control her narrative. That is Bailey, you know, Sky, and Dakota Kai. No, what we call them now? BSK? Yeah, they're BSK, aren't they? Yeah, BSK. Um, and they the interrupt. <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, Guns and knives. <laughs> oh, <laughs> they, uh, hey, Bradshaw, get my gavel. They pretend to be happy to see her. Bitch cry. <laughs> uh, Bailey translates for Eos Guy and says that she's a huge fan of yours and then says, actually, what are you even bloody doing here on Monday Night Raw? Uh, and Stratus says, well, we're here in Canada. Edge is wrestling. I'm here to support him. And uh, Bailey goes, oh, shut up. Um, we all hate you. Uh, actually, change the plan. Dakota hates you. EO actually does hate you. Um, we're, we're tired of you. We're sick of you. We're sick of you riding our coattails, etc. This is our ring now. You're the past. We are the now. You know, what are you even doing here sort of thing. Bianca Belair's music hits because it looks like they're about to surround her. She jumps in the ring. She uh, says, you know who you're talking to? This is Trish Stratus. She says, you're not even, this, even in the same stratosphere. Uh, she walked so that you guys could all run. Um, there is no Bailey without Trish, says Bianca Belair. Stop being disrespectful to her, especially in her city. There's an EST chant. Um, and she says, look, I'm just saying these things. I don't have to fight for Trish Stratus. And Stratus takes off her jacket and gets in Bailey's face. She says, I can become formally retired real quick. Everyone gets very excited. And Bailey says, well, have you, you need a math lesson or something. There's three of us. There's only two of you. But the moment she says that, Alexa Bliss and Asuka come out to, uh, not even the odds, um, babyface uh, <laughs> domination, basically. And Bailey all of a sudden says, actually, you know what, I'm, I'm good for a match. Uh, but you two, or you three, will see you at Clash of Champions. Hell of a tease, this. Yeah. I, 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 I don't think there was much to this, but there was nothing wrong with it either. Um, Bailey and Trish is... Like a legitimate women's division dream match. With high they, praise. They want to. They want to show you like a glimpse of it. I suppose. Um, that's it. I, I, that's the thing. I wasn't really wowed by any of this, but it was like, why not do something like this? Why not have somebody come out and get a big pop in their hometown? Um, actually, a bit of fan service. Trish Stratus is, is advertising. Comes out, gets a big response. Is given the opportunity to talk without that cynical rubbish. Vincent Man. Oh, while they're here, we're just going to absolutely take a dump on them, or we're going to send a character out to mock them, or laugh at them, or whatever. Or worse. And it makes sense that it would be Bailey and her cronies that also nicely yeah. segs in nicely into the women's uh, semis of key, the tag tournament. Key to the modest success of this storyline was the deification of Trish Stratus without it being a total God, aren't we all losers now compared to the stars of your... Mm. Like, that was the, the big difference here. Everybody that was in this scene was seen to be either on Trish's level or blatantly surpassed her because she's retired. She's going to come back. It's going to be a special attraction. And Bailey and Trish is this thing that we've never had that would be pretty cool as well. So I wouldn't say this was like some like awesome, oh my God, worlds colliding type moment, but it wasn't bad. Like if I, if, if I was a Torontonian, I'd have been over the moon with it. I promise, right? This is a guarantee. I promise, right? That when we collectively at War Culture Wrestling and indeed the Pro Wrestling Commentariat are able to say, God, isn't this better than the dreck it used to be? Until, or rather after, we are able to critique this show without that lens, I'll be a happy bunny, right? But this is still like, oh, isn't this better than, isn't this better than the usual promo train? Yeah. Because that's what it was. Because that's <laughs> yeah. absolutely what it was. Um, promo train, 
exposition-heavy dialogue. I know who Tristratus is at this point. Um, you can probably infer from the reaction um, who she is. You can probably watch WWE television for 21 years to know who <laughs> she is. So I didn't need the exposition. I didn't need the promo train format. I didn't need a babyface ganging up advantage. That's terrible. That's absolutely terrible. Like, come on, measure that. Um, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> it's made me really, really happy to start the show. I'm sure it did. Uh, sure it did, That giggle. Oh my god! Jesus Christ! You're turning into Jim Ross. Uh, more on him later. Uh, then we got the, uh, the giggle. women's uh, tag tournament semi-finals. It was EO Sky and Dakota Kai, of course, against Asuka and Alexa Bliss. Because this side of the draw hasn't been snake bit. More on that in a bit. Um, we get the moment that a lot of fans have been waiting for: Asuka and Sky. If there was an injection. It wouldn't be a problem. Facing off. Um, <laughs> great fun back and forth between the two of them. Bit. Everyone, you really crossed the line there. Unlike her, she couldn't get across because of everything at bottom. So he might have been concussed. <laughs> that might have been also the reason. I'm just going to cover us off legally there. Uh, anyway, uh, Sky Matrix-esque dodges a kick. Rocks Asuka with a kick of her own. Um, but the baby faces take over once Dakota Kai comes in and isolate her on the side of the ring. Uh, when we go to a break and then come back and Bliss is running wild, cannonball off the apron uh, onto the heels. Um, but the heels fight back, take control again. Bliss gets to the corner, gets to Asuka, hot tag, big pebby. Um, German suplex to uh, to EO Sky, running knee for a near fall. Sky comes back, huge drop kick to Asuka, which looked great. Bliss dives in to break up the pin, and then Kai takes her out of the ring. Asuka misses a hip attack, and Kai hits that running kick of hers for a two count. Bliss and Asuka regain control with that leg sweep, neck breaker combo thing that they do. Asuka puts on a submission, but... Uh, Sky gets in there to make the save. Bliss goes for Twisted Bliss, but uh, Kai gets her knees up. Kai goes for a boot in the corner to Onaska, who dodges it. But as Asuka's dodging it, she doesn't see Sky makes a blind tag. Asuka grabs Dakota Kai, puts her in the Asuka lock. Referee's obviously waving this off. Dakota Kai taps, which doesn't, which makes Asuka look like less of a dumbass because she's mid-celebration. All the adrenaline dumps happen. She thinks she's won. All of a sudden, Sky sneaks in, rolls her up. One, two, three. Uh, EO Sky, Dakota Kai advance to the finals of the title tournament to face. Who bloody knows? There's going to be a four-way to determine the team that probably is going to lose to Aaliyah and Raquel Rodriguez in the other semi-final. We'll deal with that on Friday on the SmackDown preview, etc. But... Um, I, I thought this was a really nice, well, great match and, a, and a, an intriguing finish. Yeah, I like quite a lot about this. I um, I would have rather that Asuka been hit with a move rather than a roll-up, even though I do take your point about mm. the fact that... Like, I like the construction of the finish. I completely agree with you. far better than the normal sneaky roll-up they do, and I realise, again, it's by that caveat. Completely but. agree with you. Like, the idea that she thought the match was over, that's quite creative. Like, she would stop, and she would therefore not concentrate or look around, and she's... They're prone to be caught, but I wish she'd been hit with a move, and they were a little bit... They committed a bit more to it, because I thought the match was really good. Otherwise, I'm... More impressed than I thought I would be with Alexa Bliss as this baby face. I didn't think she quite had it in her, uh, in terms of her in-ring, and I'm seeing so much more of it. I don't know if it's this cool competitiveness where all of a sudden, like wrestlers, you see it sometimes, they instinctively want to level up if they see that the competition rate is improving, and clearly it is. So she's wanting to be seen and be spotted. And I thought she was she stood out to me in a way that I didn't expect. I was almost looking for the moments of everybody else, and then she was pretty good. She took a lot of the matches as a baby face. She had to absorb a lot of the heat, so I thought she was great. Um, Kai and Sky looked as good as they've looked together thus far, I would say. Yeah. This was destined to be 
kind of the money match of the tournament because it's all really this is a sales pitch for the six women at the pay per view. So, yeah, I thought this was of a decent standard and quite effective at building heat for the match on the premium live event. No complaints. I got a few complaints. <laughs> I got more than one complaint. <laughs> Probably about four minutes too long, but that's a three-hour roll thing. That is just yeah, yeah, a yeah. three-hour roll thing. I will never not point it out. Uh, look at them. Uh, they've, got, they've got an extra hour to deal with me making, making Another ad break. <laughs> it's one of those where it's like, uh, don't give them a pass. There's a curve. No longer. So they don't get a pass. So four minutes, five minutes too long. There's like, uh, it consistently holds my attention for what, an 18-minute duration? Excessive, but again... That's three-hour roll. Some of the action here was great. Yeah. Um, the DDT cell was just fantastic. The double DDT cell, like they looked like they got absolutely spiked. So that was really cool. I did, however, right, come away from this thinking less of Asuka than before I went in to the point where I'm thinking, just turn a heel. If Triple H is doing this thing now where he's basically righting the wrongs of the Vince McMahon interference with NXT, you've seen it with Kevin Owens. We're seeing it now with the fact that Loomis never got the shot and Karrion Cross is completely botched. Part of the big sales pitch for Triple H's WWE is not only will NXT matter within um, the canon, but also, um, in the, at least in the case of Kevin Owens, we're just going to pretend, quite frankly, that his main roster run hasn't really happened because it was a great idea originally that wasn't... Um, explored anywhere near enough. It's just going to be 2015 Kevin Owens again. I'm more than ready to see Asuka be the 2015 Asuka mm-hmm. again because not, th- there was two things here, right, that I thought, oh, God, I think less of Asuka as a babyface. She got absolutely, literally outclassed as a wrestler by um, Io Sky um, in that sort of... I- an incredible exchange that looked really awesome, but she still came away looking like the less like the inferior wrestler, which is not good, particularly since she was sort of outthought at the finish. So she was outclassed and outthought, so much so that if I'm booking this, I'm thinking, or if I'm really analyzing this, I'm thinking she's turning heel. I think they just did some cool stuff to put Eel Sky over and a cool finish, but I just left thinking less of Asuka. And Alexa Bliss does not belong in a 19-minute match. I think she's a very gifted talent for what she does. Wrestling for 19 minutes probably isn't it. Uh, we go backstage. Dolph Ziggler is there talking to someone backstage. Uh, oh, yeah. Come on, Patrick! Um, he's talking about what's going on with him in Theory. Of course, they main evented last week. And uh, he says, look, he lost, but he just wants to help Theory. He's got all this potential. He's got it all in front of him, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, here comes Finn Balor. They've got a match tonight. He says, you're the same as Edge and Mysterio. You just attach yourselves to younger, newer stars and stick on to them and are trying to hold on to some re- uh, relevance. Um, you disguise this as help, but really they don't need it. Kid! <laughs> Ziggler's like, we're the same age, mate. What? Uh, and then Ziggler slaps him in the face and walks through Gorilla, or walks through the curtain bit, and says, uh, well, you can sit, sit there like a little bitch. Oh, you're going to come out and fight. <laughs> then we get the match. Uh, Finn Balor versus Dolph Ziggler. Um I've got to agree with Sidge on this one. Quite, quite emblematic of Monday Night Raw being three hours. This this going 13 minutes. Um, but, you know, a win for Finn Balor nonetheless. There was an early advantage. And the crowd, to be fair, did get really into it and bought on a few of the Ziggler's near falls because I thought, well, there's no way Balor's losing this one. Um, Ziggler gets an early advantage. Balor fights back, keeps sending Ziggler into the turnbuckle. Uh, at one point he goes sort of, I always think of Bret Hart now, ever since I watched that Tom McGee tape, when anyone goes chest first into the turnbuckle, 
that's what happened to Ziggler there. Uh, as we go to a break, when we come back, Ballard's still in control. Ziggler escapes. Flying clothesline from him. Standing elbow drop gets Ziggler a two count. Uh, he rolls up Balor for a near fall, goes for the Famouser, uh, but Balor counters that into a nice sit-out powerbomb. That gets him a near, near fall. Balor goes with a shotgun drop kick, but Ziggler responds with a standing drop kick of his very own and a DDT. Uh, he also hit the Famouser for a great two count that some of the fans bought on there. Uh, Balor hits the shotgun drop kick, but misses the coup de grace, and Ziggler jumps up and hits a zigzag for another great near fall that the fans bought. Uh, but in the end, Balor and Ziggler are trading shots in the middle of the ring, um, Ziggler hits him with a headbutt, and Balor gets the referee's attention. That allows Rhea Ripley, who's accompanied uh, Finn Balor to ringside, to jump up on the ring apron and clock Ziggler. He falls backwards into the 1916. Coup de gras, 1-2-3 for Finn Balor. I think I'm going to be more generous than you on this one, Wilborn. I thought this was really, really, really strong, uh, really well worked, like incredibly dramatic, and it cannot be overstated just how much a hot crowd accentuates yes. really good wrestling. How many matches have we seen on Raw in, I would describe it as the post-AEW period, but it was happening in 2018 as well when a lot of fans were, like, defecting to BTE or buying All In or going to New Japan or going to ROH, staying with NXT, but just basically that the complexion of the WWE main roster crowd, like, shifted dramatically across the between the mid and late 2010s when they realized, our oh, Roman's winning the 2015 Royal Rumble, and, oh, there's no point in being defiant in our support of Daniel Bryan, because I'm just not going to listen. <laughs> the gender thing is so funny. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so funny that gender's won the ten. Isn't it funny? It's just dying in front of it. It's so funny. <laughs> funny. And the main roster crowds for about a good three years before the pandemic were just not hot at all. And by 2019, it was staggering how just <laughs> subdued they were. And already, Triple H has basically told them by kind of inundating them with lengthy matches, work to a brisker, more physical standard than the WWE norm. Already there, right, kind of bang up for this. And I think it was the first time WWE had done a show in Toronto since the pandemic. So that obviously had a lot to do with it. But my God, a, f a crowd that big going ballistic for a Dolph Ziggler match in 2022 has to be considered an achievement. Yeah, and You know, Ziggler, it's... It's the crime of working too hard and doing too many bumps. The more bumps a wrestler does, the more pain they absorb for your entertainment, the less entertaining they feel because they're so over-familiar. So this is an absolute achievement. It was hot. It was really good. And I really had a good time watching it. Yeah, like I, I just in sort of put over the booking as well. I think I'd, I wouldn't have never wanted to watch Dolph Ziggler versus Finn Balor on paper if we'd have been previewing this and that was the match. Uh, Dolph Ziggler doing the, hey, what's going on, Kev? As if, like, he's the guy that just, like, graduated five years ago but still keeps coming back to school. Like, it's just, he's, theoretically, that should not work ever. And, yeah, as Sidgwick says, the hot crowd. By the end, uh, this is yet more effective rebuilding of the Judgment Day and on the right night to do it because yeah. you know what's going to happen in the main event and you know what, which, which way that result's going to go. Six to eight weeks ago, the Judgment Day getting beat was what they did. Yeah. And now it's like, well, we've kept them strong because you have to go one way in the main event. So, yeah, even the booking, I think, was actually pretty smart. You give Finn Balor this great, credible match, which is hot, where the, it's, the Judgment Day are there to look like a force on this show. So, like, I thought in terms of building up Damien Priest and Edge later on the night, this was effective at that as well. One thing. Was this match announced? I don't know. Or advertised? I don't think so. I, I feel like they flashed up a graphic 
earlier on in the night. Oh, that's fine. It's impromptu in the extreme. If the brawl backstage gets somebody to press yeah, music, head- get out there. You're going to wrestle right now. Like, I think they were heading out for the yeah, match. So that's uh, maybe that's a unique way of building a match. Maybe it was in fact resourceful. If in fact it wasn't impromptu, dynamite esque in the obvious winner, obvious loser thing as well. Yeah. So the trick is just within the match trying to make the fans believe for a second that Dolph yeah, might yeah, actually yeah. beat. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Before we go any further, though, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around different stresses. They can be big life worries or just, you know, little things like your favorite wrestler not being used properly. The thing is, when we keep them bottled up, it really can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. It is really helpful, too, for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. Therapy basically empowers you to be the best version of yourself. So why not give better help? a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and best of all, suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash whatculture today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash whatculture. Uh, local lass Aaliyah was backstage with Sarah Schreiber. She got a great reaction there. She talked about being a bougie badass. And then in comes Bailey, who says, what are you doing in on your own? You know, you're in the semifinals. Where's your mate? You know, keep your head in, basically. Uh, and Trish Stratus comes in and says, uh, are you chatting all this? What about, what about you getting back into the ring, Bailey? And uh, Aaliyah challenges Bailey to a match later on. Fans agree. First time Bailey's had a match in how long? Ages. In front of fans, like 900 days. I it was 900 hours, yeah. Uh, and then as uh, Bailey, uh, well, it's BSK, sorry, my manners, uh, walk off. Adam Pierce is there with security with a photo. And I thought, oh, it's happening again. Uh, and Alpha Academy, this is another reason why I love this show. Alpha Academy make their way to the ring. Uh, thank you. Shoot, uh, thank you. Shoot, they weren't shooshing, despite how polite Canadians are. They were not, not shooshing. Um, and, uh, yeah, the Alpha Academy are looking for new students. But all he could find around here was toothless hockey players in, what is it, Tim Hortons or some, Jim Hortons or something? Tim Hortons, yeah. yeah. I thought so. Uh, 
mocks Toronto, mocks the Maple Leafs for losing, losing to Tampa. They don't even have ice. <laughs> uh, he talks a bit about Austin Matthews. He's American. I don't know why I love this line. He went, uh, I'm hearing a lot of talk about Austin Matthews, who, let's not forget, is American, but he doesn't have the talent to watch Otis's jackstrap. And he, like, pointed right at it. That just, Chad, makes me laugh. Hot it. <laughs> go Leafs, go, chant an issue, uh, and Gable issues the open challenge to anyone. He doesn't care if it's a fan, if it's a washed-up athlete, whoever it is. And there's a brief pause where no one answers, and he's feeling pretty cocky about all that. And then, huge baby. Uh, <laughs> oh, God. It's mutating, isn't it? Kevin Owens' music hits. He comes out. Fantastic reaction. Uh, and, yes, he got the match with Chad Gable. Uh, early on, he takes control because this is the, as you say, 2015 version of Kevin who doesn't piss about. Hits Gable with a clothesline. Sent on. Goes to the cannonball. But Gable gets out of the way and takes over. Uh, KO chance going on. Owens goes for a pile driver on the apron, but Gable counters with a backdrop and then it's a release German suplex on the apron. These two work so well together. Uh, Gable hits a series of German suplexes, in fact, when they come back from the break. Uh, Owen breaks free, though, and hits one of his own. Cannonball in the corner. Owens at one point did a, a frog splash basically halfway across the ring, which is incredible to see. Goes with a pop-up powerbomb. Gable gets out of it. Owens goes with a stunner. Gable counters by German suplexing him right on the back of his neck. Uh, these two, with these two, I look, look at that and go, that's just in that sweet spot, isn't it, where yeah. you think, oh, you could die, but you just tr inherently trust these two. Uh, Gable hit a diving headbutt for a near fall, goes for a superplex, but Owens reversed that into that beautiful top rope fisherman's buster that he's got for a two count. Uh, the fans actually buys the finish. Owens goes for a swanton. Gable gets his knees up. Gable misses a moonsault. Owens hits a super kick and then reverts back to his old finisher, the pop-up powerbomb. Huge pop, huge win. Uh, he's victorious post-match. Otis jumps Owens from behind. Um, the fans start chanting for Sammy, but Owens doesn't need him, and why would he be there, to be perfectly honest? I get it. Um, fights back, um, and uh, he just batters them both. Stunner on Otis, and a pop-up powerbomb uh, on Gable, onto Otis. Owens stands tall, and what a reception he got. Loved it, man. Just loved all of this. Triple H is incapable of booking sprints, but this is the closest approximation of one you're going to get. Just a killer sprint. With absolutely, like, no, not an ounce of fat to this at all. All impact, all really cool stuff that gets both guys over. And, like, the fans chanting for Sammy is one of the biggest compliments you can pay Triple H at this point. He has laid out all the pieces across both shows, picking up the, like, otherwise genuinely quite fun Sammy Zayn and the Bloodline thing and turning it suddenly into something that actually matters, right? We said it last week on the Raw Review. He's tied Kevin Owens to the Usos, which in turn ties him to Sami Zayn, which in turn gets you to Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens versus the Usos. So fans are chanting for Sami because they've seen Montreal SmackDown. They got a great time with their guy on Friday, so why would we not get a great time with our guys on Monday? They didn't. And Roman referenced Kevin Owens on SmackDown. And he referenced him. Like, they're picking up the direction because there actually is a direction. Yes. It was so refreshing to see that play out as such. Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn will probably come together for a huge babyface reaction. They'll have uh, Alpha Academy as a tune-up match ahead of the like, tactic. Like, all of this is just making sense and making cool things at the uh, other end of it. The great match that came before it felt like a bonus mm -hmm. by the end. I love all of this. Stellar peak NXT action unfolding in front of a crowd of what ten thousand rabid fans like absolutely great. Mm -hmm. Like it's just again, I kind of see this sometimes in my every week. <laughs> but 
And it's like, again, if this had all happened in 2017, right, where basically in a normal world, put the belt on gender. It's like, don't do that. Yeah. Right. Triple H has got a golden era that is ready. For yes. <laughs> or do that and then put it on Trinsuke. <laughs> right there. Right, okay. In a normal functioning meritocracy, everyone just goes, oh, I don't have to put up with this. This is rubbish. Right, okay, Triple H is in charge now. And all of this was happening in 2017. I'd be going absolutely ballistic, but it isn't. There's a standard that's been set. But to watch WWE reach it with this match mm. because it was so physical, so lightning fast, so action-packed, so thrilling. The work was dangerous, as you point out, Willborn, in that, oh, you're two pros, so it's a great way. This was dynamite standard television, and I genuinely was impressed by the fact that Kevin Owens, situa- situational babyface, a second after he's become psychopath heel again, the way that they managed it without betraying his character or feeling too cheap was really quite good. One more thing I want to point out, right, is you know we see these videos online, the most satisfying videos you'll ever see. And it's like these incredible factories where millions of things are getting made with precision at the mm. same time. Just things that are just satisfying in a way that you can't really articulate. The power bomb, the way in which the back of Chad Gable's head almost slid off Otis's belly. <laughs> that, that was so satisfying in a way that I just can't articulate. It was just wonderful to see. Well, well explain that. Can you? Why was it so good? It's like visual ASMR. Yeah, it's just like, yeah, oh, like when those things fit just fit perfectly into a gap. A bit yeah, like that. yeah, yeah. It's just awesome. <laughs> I don't know why I love that so much. Uh, speaking of things that we love, uh, Finn is backstage with uh, with Rhea Ripley and of course Damian Priest. Uh, he talks about Rhea beating Dom up so much recently that he thinks Dom is starting to like it, and he's not the only one. Oh my god, Jesus um, Christ! <laughs> I'm gonna get you a cowboy hat. <laughs> As for Ray, he says he's six one mine. Huge pap in the Wilborn household for that one. Uh, Priest says that only leaves one legend to deal with, Edge. The cheers are going to be deafening, but this is going to be his last match in Toronto. All the cheers are going to turn to screams as Edge meets his Judgment Day. I was like, all right, you can have a dash of that old Judgment Day in there because we've got the 6-1 mine line and the bit about Dom kind of getting a little bit, you know. But don't go any further than that. Huh? I don't know. Oh, my God. (laughs) Monday Night Raw, dog. Uh, anything you want to say about this? This is just a bit of Triple H, this act, isn't it? This whole thing. A few more skulls in it, it'd be just right. <laughs> yeah, they, all big, they all do the big lines and they have a big old laugh. The laughing goths at the end. <laughs> like, it's like it's right where Triple H is yeah. sweet spot. Is. Uh, don't, don't, I don't hate it. They're like they're the, they're the, these like almost cartoonish villains. They're, they're quite good for this little yes, universe. Yes, exactly. Uh, and like you say, we all knew where it was heading towards yeah. the end of the night. Bailey versus Aaliyah was next. Um, generous putting to put this as maybe on different pages uh, is probably the best way I can describe that in the nicest possible different way. disciplines. Aaliyah <laughs> um, got a great reaction, obviously. Um, from One of them's a wrestler. Yeah. Um, Aaliyah gets the early advantage, series of near falls, but Bailey takes over because it's Bailey. Uh, beats Aaliyah down in the corner, snap suplex, chin lock, sliding clothesline, gets a two count. Uh, Aaliyah eventually breaks free of another chin lock, uh, but Bailey catches her. Hits the Sasha Banks-esque double knees in the cord- corner, does Bailey. Um, Aaliyah fights back, bulldog at ringside, catches Bailey in a half crab, but Bailey breaks free and hits, I think it's called the Rose Planter finish for the victory. But uh, yeah, rough in places this, this is. Absolutely terrible. This is absolutely terrible. Poor Aaliyah. 
got lost so often in this match, creating so many clunky moments wherein Bailey had to like kind of stop in her tracks and just direct traffic out loud to her face while they were both standing still. This again, Triple H man, I think he derives sexual pleasure from tacking on at least three extra minutes to a TV match. He did it in two-hour NXT as well, no less. Yeah. It wasn't just, all right, three-hour Raw, it's kind of impossible to book well. I wouldn't like to see a Tony Khan booked three-hour Dynamite. So I know I do get it. But like, I honestly think he derives sexual pleasure from like, oh, my God, <laughs> just put on four minutes. Oh, fuck. Oh, yeah. Five minutes. Oh, my God. Reminds me of when I used to be out there five minutes too long. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> it just, really just, takes me back. Just, oh, my God. So, yeah, this is a... Dis- like, can we talk Who about... Who was about sex for really long? Sting, isn't it? Tantric sex. Yeah, not Sting as in AW Sting. <laughs> Darby Allen's like, are you ready? <laughs> Five more minutes. <laughs> Don't come in. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's like... That's what he was doing in that coffin for ages. This tri- Oh, God. This Triple H honeymoon period, as yeah. often happens with honeymoon periods, like, oh, you know, it gets a bit annoying, this thing that she does. But it's fine. I'm completely <laughs> in love. Completely in love. Completely in love. All this stuff, right? This is the honeymoon phase, right? <laughs> right? You ignore in honeymoon phases of relationships and, like, new shows. And in this case, it's a new direction. Like, oh, this is... Um, if I was not swept up in the moment, I would possibly start to really think about this mm. and get annoyed. Bailey's return, bit of a disaster, let's face it. She's totally passed it as a heel. I think people would have been thoroughly prepared to cheer her in her best role. I feel like she's miscast. I feel like some of her performances on the mic have been less than stellar, to put it mildly. And now her first match in, what, 700 days? How many days? 900. 900 days. In front of a crowd. Like in front of a year or so. Yeah, yeah, in front of a crowd. And it's a disaster because of who the matchmaking is so disastrous. And yes, it's a nice thing. Because it's a home city, and yes, I praise Tony Khan for it as well, but I, I bury Tony Khan for booking bad matches, and this was terrible. I don't disagree at all. Um, I, I don't think the like the promos, they've not been bad, but they've not been good. Like, this stable doesn't feel... I think s- a 2015 Bailey is this anywhere near it yeah, in terms of getting the most out of it. It's not near 2020 Bailey. Like, the stable don't feel stronger for the heel promos that Bailey is cutting, yeah. and I think that that's the measure of like how successful you can see it as the match. Yeah, this was just like transparent training match and you can't you like we kind of have a go at them sometimes so doing it on NXT you can't do it on Raw or mm. Smackdown you can't send somebody out there that just is not ready and then it's like well why is she not ready because I saw her developing on Breaking Ground and that was in 2015 I didn't realise that yeah, yeah. Bailey was the NXT and they were like taking the piss out of her entrance in promo class and whatever it was and it was just oh, hang on, that was like seven years ago now that's on this company that's on this system if she's if she's so far back still that you've got to put her in there well, had you, Daniel Garcia even started wrestling Probably not. Like I'd, I'd need to check, but probably not if he had barely. And it is Bailey's first match back, so it's kind of unfair on her too. Yeah, to go out there and have this first match back be in these circumstances. I thought they were going to save it for Clash at the Castle, and that was going to be the point. It was like this is the first time you know you're getting to see Bailey. So I, I like I, do, I don't disagree. I think it's easily recoverable. Yeah, but I wouldn't say it's been a hit. I think BSK is a is a bigger hit than. Yes, Bailey's own comeback. That's fair. Yeah, exactly. Uh, then we got AJ Styles versus Bo- uh, AJ Styles and Bobby Lashley versus the Miz and Champa. Skip. Uh, I, I know where I'm at with all of these guys at this point. 2018. Yeah. Christ. So Aaliyah had had three more years on from the Breaking Ground promo when Daniel Garcia debuted. The performance center sucks. It really does. 
Uh, yeah, Miz and Champ. And who did all of it? Pepper H. <laughs> Uh, anyway, this went to DQ. We'll talk, Morris. We'll talk about the friggin' builder mop. We'll talk a little bit about the DQ in a second, but not all that. It's now time for this. It's short, it's crap, it's wrestling related. The five star review review. Nailed it! And this week's five star review review is brought to you by Matt Beeston. If you want to uh, suggest something short, crap, and wrestling related for us to review instead of a match or a god awful segment on Monday Night Raw, you can do so by subscribing. I have to retire it now. It's the best show of the week. Subscribe. Best show of all time, if anything. (laughs) One of the inevitable. Just just the spiel a little bit. Yeah, just one of the inevitable DQs probably on Monday Night Raw still. It's not completely fixed. Um, then you make sure you subscribe to What Cult Dressing on iTunes. Leave us a five-star review on there. Or if you wanted to leave us a five-star review on Spotify, you can then just email your review to me, adam.wilborn at whatculture.com. Imagine if we move this to Rampage. <laughs> Imagine if we move this to the Rampage. <laughs> I've got it now. Might have to. I bloody have to now. <laughs> um, <laughs> got off Rampage, I think. Uh, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not, yeah, big time. The, the preview was so surreal last week because me and you come in and go, "Hey, SmackDown alumni page, what's going to happen?" Bit of an existential crisis. Going, this is like previewing bloody Velocity. You see, <laughs> it is. So it's a waste of my bloody time. Worst thing about Velocity was they didn't even couldn't even be asked for green ropes, could they? I know. Well, at least give us green. They yeah, all the green branding. WWE never does green. Gives green ropes. I hate blue ropes. Couldn't be asked. Remember they used to do them for pay-per-views. I'm thinking, what are you doing? Yeah. I'm thinking, what are you doing? They're like aesthetically they've always looked horrible to me. Mm. Silver ropes for SmackDown to match the curtain. That's what yep. they should have done. And, and the maybe fi- then match the fist. Match the fist. <laughs> Careful, you know, it sets him off. <laughs> anyway, Matt writes. Hi guys. Uh, just here to say that your podcast is really uh, seriously though, listening to you three helps me get through my day and has helped uh, brighten up my day when I uh, get my struggles. Adam is one of the funniest people I've ever heard. Thanks, Matt. Uh, with your brilliant impressions, and Hamlet and Sidgwick are all right as well. No, he writes that Hamlet and Sidgwick are just class. I work in a warehouse in Shropshire where I'm a warehouse trainer and recently had a new starter, which I thought nothing new of uh, until it was playing Jude until Judas was playing on the stereo and he stopped. And stared at me and asked if I knew about Chris Jericho. I love moments like big this. Big moment, big moment. Uh, obviously, he said yes and talked about my love for AEW. Uh, as soon as I said that, he lost his mind and he finally had someone he could talk to regarding his love for wrestling. We constantly talk about things wrestling, uh, and we are both uh, big Sidgwick mega fans. Hey, yes. <laughs> Uh, for my five-star review review, I'll let you decide uh, w- what you want to do. But can it involve some divas, as I find the comment section afterwards to be an absolute treasure trove? You're not wrong, Matt. Uh, please keep doing what you're doing, and thanks for just being awesome, Matt Beeston. Matt, thank you so much for this yeah. five-star review review. Uh, <laughs> the lovely comments and the fact we get to review another divas match in Canada. Take us back what we May 2007 this is in Toronto. Just hate how you've been like, well, it makes sense because it was in Toronto. A bit of LTST on the five-star review review. I think I just typed in WWE Divas. (laughs) Sexy, maybe. I don't know. (laughs) You're sexy. Um, (laughs) I make a blush when I call her sexy. (laughs) (laughs) May 2007. Yep. Yep. So WWE in 2007, you had May. And then that was pretty much the year. Don't recall much happening after that. And then we had 2008. John Cena came back at the Royal Rumble and everything was fine. Everything was PG. You didn't get this anymore. So this was kind of, we were hitting end of an era for this type of content. Don't um, even remember if Lona still like them. <laughs> <laughs> still had those memories. Jerry Lawler just 
completely unleashed. Jim Ross, as we now know, pretending he didn't love it too. <laughs> like somebody oh, had to on. be somebody had to be indignant on the headset, even though didn't he didn't want to be that. Uh, this was just this was just awful. I should have stopped well, watching. No, it WWE. Was I should have stopped watching. It was to be fair, it was time sensitive because it was a memorial day. Bikini Beach Battle Royal. What I didn't research, because there was no... You know, take us back to the story. There was no story. What I should have researched was, like, what the leading or what they were competing with, because this opened Raw, and there was absolutely no way that instead of, like, this, instead of, like, the promo train or the actual stars or whatever, there must have been something they just couldn't be asked to compete with on another channel back then. Yeah, because they had Orton and RVD, they mentioned, later on. Yeah, there was a reason why, they, like, this sort of stuff never opened the show. They picked the same... Se- it's The dynamite of your was, like, when we're going to send the Divas out there in bikinis, there was the same segment yeah. every week. Uh, so we get the uh, the old raw Papa Roach, was it you said, yeah. intro? Pa- Papa Roach. <laughs> Papa Roach. <laughs> <laughs> Awful. Uh, <laughs> I'll never give it up. Awful. The worst. Attitude was, attitude was gross attitude era. And ruthless aggression. Ruthless aggression. Peak of the ruthless I aggression got, era. I got worked by them here. Fake era. Because... <laughs> Candace, Honestly, I mentioned it in an article at least four times a week. Not real, not a real thing. He just said, yeah. it, for, he just said it for two weeks. Then it was abandoned. In the in the face of Ruthless Aggression, I almost got sacked. So how <laughs> successful could it have been? The, yeah. su- the 2007 summer of suspensions, when like, the, the, the payment of the Ruthless Aggression was, oh, everybody was just massively jacked. And elevated liver enzymes. Oh, that was it. All sorts. So all, all you knew is that you know, every pay for you, somebody was taking 60 days off. Kennedy was talking his way into losing his briefcase and everything else. Was that the one where they were like, it's the first ever pajama prison match? Great Curl, he's not in it. Yeah. <laughs> Big right. Sean Undertaker. Uh, Candice Michelle is the first out. Um, she's got a super soaker. This is beach water themed stuff. I think it's more cocks made. Wait for it. Uh, Mickey James comes out. She's got a bodyboard, obviously. Mm-hmm. Then uh, Maria comes out. We were enjoying Maria's theme, weren't we, earlier? Shut up, ma'am. I'm not going to Don't make me clean my room. Shut up, ma'am. She's got a pool noodle. Um, out comes Jillian. This is the bit so where... Ger- so is Jerry Lawler by the sounds of things. <laughs> <laughs> out comes Jillian, right? So you've gone... Right, okay. Girls, are they, they just walk, as they walk past, they hand us something. Super Soaker... Bodyguard. Ejaculating cock. <laughs> Pull noodle. Big floppy cock. All right, number four. What are we going to give her? Uh, two super soakers. <laughs> two cocks. Uh, two ejaculating sing. cocks. Can't sing, but uh, who cares when you look like that, huh? Uh, that's what um, Jerry King Lawler says. Um, then there's extreme expose, which I forgot was a thing. Uh, no, you didn't. Kelly Kelly, <laughs> Layla, and Brooke. And they've gone, all oh, right, we've given Jillian two super soakers. What if you give them all super suckers and pool, no- pool noodles? Uh, yeah, that'll do. Out comes uh, next a Michelle Mus- Michelle McCool who uh, squirts out, squirts the audience, um, and that gets the uh, the King's Freak juices flowing, doesn't it, Hamlet? That was Jim Ross. <laughs> she gets my uh, freak juices flowing, uh, Jr. Good lord, what? <laughs> You hear one of those lines every now and then that like could have been cut into the my ass rap. Yeah, yeah. Raven, Raven, what? <laughs> uh, Crystal's next. She's also got a pool noodle, and then Melina, the women's champ, has nothing. Not even a belt. She just comes out, and they were like, "I've oh, run out of pool noodles. Run out of soup. So I could just go out there." She does. Uh, she does her entrance, and uh, 
yeah, uh, the line is, we all know you'd like to cover her in barbecue sauce, uh, JR. And he goes, oh, Lord. Uh, and then King says, if you cut her arms off, she'd look, just look like the Venus de Milo. And I was like, what's going on here? Um, so the bell rings. What, what, what? Do you want to shag a statue? <laughs> so what he's saying. He was so turned on by a statue because it had its tits out. It was I like, think. Was like, can, can you can you statues in museums, Jim? I think Jerry Lawler would much rather have sex with... I don't know. You meant to... Like, I didn't, wasn't concentrating. You, you, you were meant to go, Sid, don't say that. Oh, sorry. <laughs> a woman in her early 20s looking at his marriage record. Oh. <laughs> uh, so the bell rings. Melina immediately gets wet um, because people are throwing water at <laughs> <laughs> yes. I've just written in my notes here. Water balloons are not a lot of wrestling, Hamlet. Yeah, it, uh, this was abysmal. <laughs> Save for a couple of spots. Uh Michael Sidgwick, I feel like a good, you're a good person to ask for this. What do you hate in the world more than anything? Triple H. Triple H, okay. Hamlet, what do you hate in the world more than anything? Why is maybe, like, maybe Kane ruled dog Triple H. I was going to say Triple H. <laughs> <laughs> you no, know, I think we should be eating the rich right now. Yes. Yeah. I, I, we exactly. should be eating the rich. In I don't know why. Wealth and inequality. If you ask me, it's Tories. But. <laughs> I don't know why we don't. At any point of the day, any day, strop everything and eat the rich. Yeah. <laughs> but because that's so useless to complain about, uh, Triple H, Roll Dog, and Kane. Uh, JR hates being flogged with a beach towel more than anything. Oh. <laughs> There's a mental image for you. Uh, Crystal gets eliminated by Michelle McCool. The King officers drive uh, off. Jerry Lawless. Oh, uh, yeah. Sorry. It was, it was just, that was very apparent that I had, it was on the tip of my tongue. Yeah. Uh, Brooke gets uh, tossed and um, eliminated, and Maria um, basically just falls out of the ring by herself at one point. Quite, quite a bit of that, wasn't there? Um, and Maria is so thick, she asked, she asked Joe the King Lawler if she melted dry house, could she swim without getting wet? <laughs> She's thick. <laughs> uh, JR talks about his wet noodle. Layla takes a rough old bump to the floor. You oh, made a man. noise watching this in the office. There was a few like this. Like, the ring is soaking wet. The floor is wet, so they're just landing. They're like taking flatbacks from the apron to the floor with from like a loose footing as they're yeah. falling. It's just it's so uncomfortable. Hideously, potentially injurious um, staging, purely so that Jerry Lawler can make allusions to pussy juice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Nobody needs to take a bump to sing along with Waterman and Sugar, do they? <laughs> King, I do like that. Harry Styles taking a flatback. Snap. <laughs> Harry AJ Styles. <laughs> uh, watermelon sugar, I don't get it. I, I opened a watermelon with no sugar inside. <laughs> uh, Jerry the King Lola says he the can't. The seeds? <laughs> the thing I like about watermelons, they're flat. <laughs> Jerry the King Lola says he can't stand up right now. Why would that be? Because he's got a... Oh. Uh, <laughs> he doesn't want people to see his uh, Which is unusual Because normally he's got no problem with people seeing his We're gonna do it anyway <laughs> uh, I did like this spot where Gillian There was a spot, I can't remember who it was earlier Someone got the bucket that had the water balloons in And just lobbed it so I think it was when Melina got wet, right? Gillian, like, goes, here we go. I'm going to chug him Michelle McCall. And I don't know if this was a work or a shoot. She just goes like that, and there's no water in it. <laughs> She's like, oh. 
Um, Molina gets bonked on the head by a surfboard. Kelly Kelly gets absolutely drenched and just does a sexy dance, basically. Because um, she got wet. Yeah. Slippery when wet. I've I just written this down in all caps. I've no idea who said it. Probably Jerry the King Lawler. It was Jim Ross, actually. Was it? Yeah. Slippery when wet. Michelle McCool, Candice Michelle get sent into each other. Uh, Mickey James um, gets. So they got wet together? Got wet together. Mickey James spot, goes. Spot the match incoming. Mickey James goes for a sort of head scissors, doesn't yeah. she, on Molina? And the, the, uh, this is the loudest I've heard the crowd all night. Just like, and I think, I think. Uh, for a wrestling move, the king. <laughs> I think the king says, "Oh my, he's just, just absolutely raw dogging it right now." Um, Jillian, uh, oh, I was on cock. Um, do you want to talk through the Mickey James elimination? Holy goddamn! So it was Mickey getting hit, wasn't it? Yeah. So she gets she, head she, scissors, the head scissors takes her to the outside, like the Tajiri tranche thing. Suddenly she's prone, and was it Jillian? The water pistol on Michelle McCall. Jillian Brilliant, yeah. runs at her with this super soaker and just blasts her foot like you can hear it. It's like the water sprays off and not in like a, oh, I'm just, there's no thigh slap or anything. It's just like really hard plastic toy on body. And again, Mickey takes another horrendous bump, like just absolutely it's the floor unprotected. Like I was watching this back and I actually winced. I said, Jesus Christ. Yeah. I get like they're hurting each other to get this utter nonsense over. And so that John Laurinaitis has got something to have a tug to when the taping's over. <laughs> Awful pigs, man. <laughs> um, Candice Michelle hits Molina with a bucket. That was funny. Uh, she got eliminated by Gillian. Uh, then Michelle McCool shows off her rack and gets put in a rack um, by Dude. Molina and Gillian. But she fights back. Michelle McCool, great. Huge double clothesline. Um, Gillian gets eliminated. And in the words of commentary, Molina takes Michelle McCool from behind. Um, Michelle McCall gets tied in the ropes. Melina, that, I didn't like that bit as well. She sort of ties her in the ropes, sort of chokes her a little bit. I thought she was going to do Seamus's 10 beats of the thingy, right? Mm-hmm. And she just ties her in there, chokes her a bit, and then just punches her as hard as <laughs> she can in the back. Anyway, uh, Melina gets drop kicked uh, out of the ring, sort of. She's just looking at them, time for me to go. And Michelle McCall wins, and Melina's not happy. Uh, just Jim Ross, like, petulantly spouting off because of what he's blatantly being told to say. Don't forget, King, it's a tri-branded Battle Royal. Oh, yeah. It's stars of all three brands. He's obviously been bollocked over the headset to talk about. This is ECW, SmackDown, Raw coming together, Jim. Tri-branded. Not like I'm ever going to switch brands. One year later. That's <laughs> <laughs> a shoot on it. Yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> uh, should we go to the comment section? If we must. We must. Yeah. Well, yeah. maybe mustn't. <laughs> Uh, Matt Beeston said, uh, I find the comment section afterwards to be an absolute treasure trove. Well, let's see. Uh, once again, these do not reflect the views of myself, Dudley Boys, I don't know what culture wrestling. Uh, Paul Giordandella uh, writes, oh, Too bad there wasn't a wardrobe malfunction. So that's the first comment. First um, comment I, I, read. I think Lawler said that as well in the commentary. Yeah. He was keeping his fingers crossed for one. Um, again, there is other things you can watch on the internet. Ash River. Candice Michelle had my eyes in the WWE back then. There was some Playboy video or something of her in a blue bikini in an in-house waterfall. I wish I could find it again. (laughs) (laughs) It's a call out in the comments section. Any links? Motorcycle man just writes, oh, God, I'm hard now. (laughs) (laughs) Gary, uh... I, I'm hard now. Is he wanting, like, replies? Anybody else? <laughs> <laughs> you seen this? You heard about this? I'm hard. 
<laughs> Gary Sparhawk. I don't know why it's made me laugh so much. Right. Does anybody have a body like flat-out gorgeous Mickey James? I'm in love. Marry me, Mickey. I'm wealthy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, right. Uh, final couple of comments. I've, I've played it pretty safe in these comments just because, you know, there's no need. Um, although I did like this... Fantasy booking. You know, I always say that one of my favourite Sidge is always when someone goes, you know what you should do here? Is, yeah. Is Patrick. Patrick. Woo. Right. Oh, he's just darted his tongue around like a serpent. <laughs> he writes, uh, this match, they should make him take off the bikini and whoever's still wearing the bikini at last is called the winner. <laughs> so you just want him to strip, basically, Patrick. <laughs> What's the stipulation, Patrick? Naked woman match. <laughs> uh, and my my favourite one was just this last one. It wasn't even, you know, consider what we've had as the last comments on videos like this before. But this one just, just really tickled me. Um, from Vielka, who writes, <laughs> And people pay to see these. You can see more pretty women's and more going on at the beach. <laughs> <laughs> oh no no no! That's uh, it's all right. We can well, like pay to watch television when you just go to the beach. I can't believe this YouTube video cost me a fiver. <laughs> you can punch down, I guess. Sit them if they're just at their computer. But this one's at large. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so thank you once again to uh, Matt Beeston for suggesting that. If you want to suggest anything. Along those lines, uh, what culture wrestling? Leave us a five star review on iTunes, or just write it on on an email and send him to me, Adam Wilborn at whatculture.com. We return to Monday Night Raw, where the Miz and Champ have just won via disqualification. But we have to talk about what caused this <laughs> because Dexter Loomis strategized a kidnapping. I think is the best way of putting this because I, I assume because earlier on in the match. Uh, was it Styles? I think was on the outside, mm -hmm. and someone popped up with a hood and stuff. And security were like, "Right, we've been warned about this," and grabbed this bloke. Mm -hmm. So he presumably said, "Can you pretend to be me to kidnap someone to take security out of it?" Because then later, Miz is on the outside, Dexter Loomis or someone in a in a full you know black outfit, mask, etc., peers behind him, takes it off. It's Dexter Loomis, and he just drags him out of the arena. Um, and got a huge reaction for it. Considering how much I've slagged this off recently, Dexter got a huge reaction, and I've got to say, from being like, oh, Dexter Loomis has been brought back, unless you're doing index stuff, I don't really care. I don't know why this this kidnapping, maybe it was Miz selling it. You said you both said this. I just, I thought this was one of the highlights overall. I think the crowd went wild because this looked funny. This looked really funny, the way that Miz was being bundled away. Um, the Dexter Loomis thing, it, this won't last long. But the Dexter Loomis thing already feels a little bit like a parody of the supposed serious side of Dexter Loomis. You, we had this in NXT. You can't murder people. <laughs> so instead, you become like, I'm not a murderer. I'm a painter who's a fan of murder. <laughs> so you get this Dexter Loomis character. Is this, is it at all possible that they're trying to do some LTST here? And Dexter Loomis is taking the Miz away from Champa for the good of Champa under the instruction of somebody else that we would see later on on Ooh. this show. Is that like, 
would Triple H dare try and thread these two things back together again because he had such affection for it in NXT, as we would learn with mentions of the way later on? Is that possibly where this ends up? Because, I mean, it's not going to work, but it's ballsier than to try. Dexter Lumis is a, is a joke. I enjoyed this, but he's a joke character. He's a joke character. The fascination that two prominent North American wrestling companies have for this performer because he's got a good body and can't blink. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely astounds me because when the bell rings, he's the ultimate, and then the bell rang guy. I find it absolutely fascinating. Um, Look, I don't know where this is going. It's fairly interesting, I guess, to think about how it all connects. Uh, and then Champa got the crap beaten out of him by Bobby Lashley and Styles afterwards and posed as, they posed as if they'd won the match. Yeah. But they lost. Uh, and then we got a video package for Edge and Damian Priest. We're basically winding down this show. And then all of a sudden, Johnny Gargano's music <laughs> hits. And like, I genuinely, I thought, have I, what, have I done something here? I'm watching a different video or something. And it felt like that happened with the crowd because they were shooing the crowd and they dropped, you know, Rebel Heart. And like, people were like, well, what are they like? What? <laughs> this slow wave of like, holy shit, it's Johnny Gargano comes through. And yeah, he appears, he walks out. You massive baby. <laughs> <laughs> um, Johnny wrestling chant, um, which instantly makes you think of that girl from the NXT show. Yeah, who's like, that? Who's Johnny Gargano? She no. was doing that. What? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, he reads his Wikipedia page, thankfully. Uh, reminds us of his time in NXT, you know, world title, tag titles, North American Championship, winning the tag titles. I think, it was it in that arena or in that city? In that, might even be the arena. It was definitely in the city. Um, but he said he wasn't even sure, you know, went away. Uh, he wasn't even sure if he wanted to do this over the last last nine months. I mean, once Grayson Waller's had his way with you, I don't blame you. <coughs> if you want to you get out there. For, well, the only work, thing worse than that is getting put out of pasture by Tony D. More on that a little bit later on today. Uh, anyway. Oh, yeah. Uh, Johnny Gargano is back. It's 25 past one. <laughs> He's been a father to baby wrestling. Baby yeah. wrestling gets a chant. He says he'll appreciate that when he gets older. Nice touch. Don't roll your eyes. I know you're a cynical parent now. I thought I was nice. That's just really cheesy. Yeah. Oh, this was really cheesy. It's Johnny Gargano. Come on. Yeah. Uh, he remembers uh, why he wanted to do this, what he always wanted to do, uh, and he wants to win all the titles, basically, and go to WrestleMania, uh, continue with his dreams. And this brings out Theory. And if you watch them in NXT, they were together, of course. Uh, He's kind of his dumbass son. Um, Gargano's genuinely happy to see him. There's a Who's Your Daddy chant, and uh, Theory asks what Gargano's been doing the last nine months, and he says, we've been changing a lot of diapers. Uh, He says, well, I've been, you know, doing everything you talked about then, really. Youngest US champion ever. I've got this briefcase. Um, I couldn't have uh, done what I did without you, Gargano, but uh, now it's like I'm the veteran, and uh, you're the rookie. And I thought, oh, they gave me horrible flashbacks to the original NXT when they were like... Daniel Bryan, I know you can learn from this guy. <laughs> uh, anyway, he says, look, Gargano, we could be together. Maybe you could even carry my bags or maybe even just this briefcase. He says, maybe I can show you the way. Uh, and then he says, oh, you know what? For old time's sake, we're back together. Let's do the old high five, which I did really like, to be fair. So there's element me going, just do the high five. But of course, Gargano doesn't just do the no-look high five. He super kicks theory, does a self-high five, and walks out. Um, 
I mean, he said it was going to be a surprise when he returned. Sweet Jesus, I didn't expect it here, though. Uh, I did not expect it here at all. Absolutely fair play. AEW does not need a Johnny Gargano at all. No. They are not only stacked with main event talent, they are stacked with upper mid-card talent, they are stacked with mid-card talent, they are stacked with talent full stop, they are particularly stacked with wrestlers who can give you a four-star match on television, and they are stacked with an abundance of baby faces, which is Johnny Gargano's best rule by one million miles. AEW, uh, WWE, rather, needs Johnny Gargano. It needs an injection of star power. It needs an injection of in-ring quality. Um, perfect move for literally every party including AEW, has nothing to do with it, generally. Um, one thing I will say is that that reaction was not a huge pep. It was a, ah, some people reacted, some mm. didn't. It wasn't this universal mind-melting moment. But to his credit, Johnny Gargano really did get the crowd on board with a really well done, if a bit earnest and cheesy promo, but yeah. that's what he is. Yeah. And that's how he's connected with audiences um, throughout his career. So, yep, promising start for Gargano, even if the actual in-ring reaction, uh, sorry, the arena reaction to hearing the theme was not what I would expect at all. Yeah, cheesy was going to do it He's super cheesy, but not super fake. Like him talking about wanting to wrestle at WrestleMania and win the Intercontinental. He has actually said this stuff. Yeah. Like, it's he believes it, so it was easy to there sort of take him at his, take him at his, his word here. Um, I'm getting such perverse enjoyment out of watching Triple H bitch out theory every single week. Like, it's it's funny. I don't really care about theory. So seeing this happen to him at the moment when there's ages and ages for him to not only like get other goals, but maybe be good enough to warrant it as well down the line. So I'm quite enjoying that. Got the two of them in the ring, Gargano at least felt like a star. So uh, this is pretty effective as well. Pitch this to Andy on the news. I'd love to get your two thoughts on it. Um, I'm not a fan of this. I'm not a fan of hot potato in a briefcase that, you know, you should either have it and then you either successfully cash in or you don't. I don't think you should ever put it on the line. But is there any possibility you think that potentially he could lose the briefcase to Gargano? It feels like Gargano has far more of a chance of cashing in. I think Gargano wins it, and then we see Champa talking about his long-lost relationship with Briefy. Now he <laughs> wants to get Briefy, and then he's like, no, but yeah, like, why not? I Theory does not look like a Triple H guy at all. So put the briefcase on somebody who is, lest you find yourself in the situation you were with Otis the other year when the joke wasn't funny. So they're just, well, what are we going to do about this? Mm. Like, Give it to somebody you theoretically are going to do something with. Yeah. Is it the main event time? It is. Um, oh they announced the... Uh, starving me. The uh, oh, the return of Kurt Angle, I should say, next week. Uh, and then it was time for Edge versus Damian Priest. Beth Phoenix obviously sitting in the audience. Quick word on Edge's gear, of course. I thought of you immediately when he was came out in that white and red, obviously. Well, look, class in white, but like the Canadian stuff is oddly something they almost never went near with Edge. So we praised the booking of this match before it even happened for that. So I'm glad he leaned in. Mm. Um, Edge gets the early advantage. He's, he's just using his uh, wiles, his, his experience to outsmart Damien Priest early on. Um, and Priest breaks free from a side headlock eventually and Edge just shoves him down, sends him, sends him out of the ring. Uh, Priest gets to take over, though, using a cheap shot, sends Edge into the corner, but Edge slips out. Uh, and uh, he tricks Priest and clotheslines him at ringside and power bombs him on the barricade to take control and take us to break. Uh, whilst we're in there, picture in picture, we can see uh, Priest getting sent into the apron, sent into the ring steps. Um, 
Priest tries fighting back. Edge goes for the cross face, but Priest escapes. Edge hits a sliding drop kick, and Priest pushes Edge into the ring post to take control. Throws him into the barricade. Falcon Arrow gets Priest a two count. Um, Priest miss, misses a move off the top rope as we return from picture in picture. Uh, Edge recovers and catches Priest with a swinging neck breaker in the ropes uh, and a flying crossbody to the floor from Edge, which looks, looks wild. Priest recovers, chokes Lamb into the ropes, and then he raises Edge onto the commentator's table that just explodes. That takes us to another break, during which Priest is completely in control. Um, but Edge comes back, gives Priest a hurricane runner off the second turnbuckle, goes for the spear, but then it was time for uh, them to exchange some moves uh, or steal some other people's moves, I should say. Priest kicks him in the face, Unprettier for a two count uh, from Priest. No mention of Christian, of course. Um, Edge catches Priest with the Impaler DDT for a near fall. Priest recovers and hits the Reckoning. Sets up for the spear, but Edge counters that with the South of Heaven chokeslam for a two count. At that point, the referee gets, I think it was Little Nature maybe, gets knocked out of the ring, and Priest goes out and grabs chairs and sets up for the concerto, but Edge just gets out of the way at the last second, uh, knocks him down, Breaks it off that little bit of the chair that he's used so many times before. Um, puts him in the cross face. And that, there's a great photo uh, of Priest in it. His eyes popping out of his head. Um, Edge releases the cross face. Uh, sets up for the spear. But Priest has taken that little piece that was in his mouth and has got hold of it. Clonks Edge with it. Looks like he's got the match one. Huge pop for the kick out. Um, uh, Edge recovers and hits a Canadian destroyer on Damian Priest. Then hits the spear. One, two, three. Of course, Edge gets the hometown victory. This is a different WWE after all. Uh, Post-match, he grabs two chairs. He's going to concerto Damian Priest, but in slides Finn Balor and Rhea Ripley. Ripley, who low blows Edge. They beat him down, uh, and it looks like they're going to kill him and coup de gras and blah, blah, blah. But who should run in to make the save? But Beth. Phoenix, and she stands over her husband as, she, as he recovers to close out what was a, a thrilling match to end the show. What I really liked about this is I thought the storytelling was strong, even if, the, even if the action felt a little bit sluggish at points. To arrive at a Canadian destroyer spot um, after the initial early action where Edge was just, it was all timed brilliantly, his like sort of heel veteran stuff, basically told the story of I'm going to have to dig deeper than I ever have to defeat Damien Priest. Mm-hmm. Was the story that convincing? Was Damien Priest such a formidable challenger that I really, really bought it? I really felt like he's absolutely knackered. Come on, Edge. Do that move. Otherwise, you're completely screwed in this match against this fierce competition. Probably not, if I'm being honest. But the uh, the actual beats of the story and the escalation of the story, I thought were incredibly strong. Um, not the most energizing, stiff, like I'm absolutely bone deep excitement feeling this match, but I thought on a structural level, there was really a lot to marvel at here. And ultimately the crowd were living and dying with Edge. Again, wrestling crowds are so fundamental. And if they can recapture them, yes, it's Toronto. It's a special show. First time Canada has got a major wrestling show since, what, 2019 at least. Very, very strong close to the show. Yeah, I just admired this on an analytical level. I knew I was going to enjoy this. 
50 times more than anything Edge had done with AJ Styles or anything Edge had done with Randy Orton from the moment they did that spot where Edge pushed Damian Priest, like, returned fire with a push and knocked Damian Priest on yeah. his ass. I knew from that point, I was like, this is going to be fun. Mm. Like, this might not be great. This might not be the best work thing on the show, but this is going to be fun. This is actually going to have a story attached that plays into that these were supposed to be a master and apprentice, that all of that fell apart. They're going to try and make sense of a lot of nonsensical stuff where this angle started. And they did. And Edge wrestled as Edge should, mm. which is a weathered veteran, but he's still got these moments within him. This wasn't just wanky, self-celebratory wrestling for wrestling's sake. These characters behaved as these characters should. This was intelligently agented. For the guy, Triple H, that like coined the playbook phrase, this didn't feel out of the playbook. This felt like how these two would a- approach this fight. Edge is an actual old man. Yeah. They usually never do this. Yes. This would be how these two men would attempt to individually win this match. And then Edge, out of nowhere, uses not just... Like a killer, like an out, an out of nowhere kill shot, but with all this symbolic intent as well. The Canadian destroyer, of course, in Canada carries more weight than it would anywhere else in wrestling law. So, yeah, I, I really admired this, even when I wasn't totally took along for the ride. The fans were, and if you're an edge guy, you definitely were. Mm. So this was like, and I, I, I thought the best thing was nice. Yeah, I like just call attention to her there, so you've got her there for the finish as well. I was so yeah taken back to childhood watching wrestling that I was like. Beth, help him! He's your yeah. husband. He's going to die. <laughs> so it served his purpose. I thought it was a brilliant conclusion to a really enjoyable episode of Monday Night Raw. But let us know your thoughts on everything we've discussed uh, on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Watch there. You can follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamlet at Michael Hamlet. You can follow Michael Sidgwick at M Sidgwick. You can follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at WhatCultureWWE and make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from. For daily wrestling podcasts, we'll be back later on today to preview NXT Two But. Oh. oh, and of course that lights out match <laughs> um, between uh, Wendy Chu and Tiffany Stratton. Looking forward to previewing that. And if you want to suggest something short, crap, and wrestling related for us to review instead of something on Monday Night Raw for the five star review review, just like brilliant Matt Beeston who did that today, you can do so by subscribing to What Culture Wrestling and leaving us a five star review on iTunes, or leave us a five star review on Spotify and just email me the review adam.wilborn at whatculture.com. But for now, this has been the Raw review. My thanks to the Dadly Boys. Thank you for joining us, and we. We'll see you soon. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping 
and 365-day returns.